0: 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 verses 5 through 12 let's get it when you get there say amen. amen all right let's read it together not in passion of lust like the gentiles who do not know god that no one transgress and wrong keep going Today I want to talk about, uh, for our time, sermonically, about authentically set apart to love. Authentically set apart to love. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for um, the power of the Word of God. We thank you that it can go to the deepest places and that it can have a level of, uh, it can be simple but not simplistic. And God, I pray that, that this won't be a I enjoyed you sermon. When someone says, well, Pastor, I enjoyed you, help, this, uh, help, help the homiletics n- not to be the, the thing that people remember, but God, help them to remember the health that comes through the scriptures. And Lord God, I pray in Jesus Christ's name that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart will be acceptable in your sight, oh God, our strength, our redeemer in whom we trust. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Everybody agree with that said? Amen. 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 You may be seated. You may be seated. You may be seated. Um, today we're in a section of the scripture where Paul is, like I told you all last time, that Paul is beginning to get into the knit and grit of the Christian faith. He, he, he was able to talk to them through some d- general doctrines of the faith. He was able to talk to them about Christology, ecclesiology, missiology. In other words, who is Jesus? What did he come to do? Uh, 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 the church, how it should be set up. He talked to them ab- about some growth issues. But then he, he talked to them about... A, a, a construct that I think that, that it's the bedrock for the Christian faith. Um, he, he talked about. He he also talked about loveology. Somebody say loveology. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that. That is a concrete, uh, foundational Christian doctrine that, that should be a part of all of our lives. Two things he talks about with as he lays this out in a, in a beautiful way for us is he talks about the holiness of God. Somebody say holiness. Somebody say love. love. So he talks about those two attributes of God that, that, that are really, in many ways, people would say, theologians would say, even shepherds would say, are, are some of the foremost uh, attributes of God. Holiness being a foremost attribute of God because it permeates all of his essence. That means uh, everything about God is unique and set apart. Yet, yet he's not so set apart where he can't, he, he can't love people. In other words, in other words, God puts affections on people, not when they get things right, but in the midst of their mess. And so what's beautiful about him is he's so holy that he's above everything, but he's so loving that he can intertwine and be involved in everything. And so, and so, and so today we get to see the massivity, of, the massifity. I made it up. Of, uh, in other words, God is massive in his holiness, but he's also just as massive in his love. What's beautiful about the love of God is it's not just mushy love set off by itself, but it's holy love. Somebody say holy love. love. That means it's a unique love, and that means it's eternally unparalleled by humanity or creation. There is no one on this planet, there is no person in creation that loves you like the Lord loves you. Let me say that again. I don't believe you got it yet. There's no one that loves you like God loves you. Somebody need to... Hear that today. Listen, let me tell you something. God's love is so exalted as he'll love you in your worst state. He's so holy, though, that he won't let you stay in your worst state. Oh, I wish I had some help right there. Because God's love, so massive, so high above everything, that, 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 that his holiness and his love is great to impact us. So Paul, as he, he, he begins teaching the Christians about this beautiful doctrine. He talks about it simply, and, 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 and today, he even talks about it in what I call rugged practical, all right? It's rugged practical. So, 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 so the first thing uh, that, that Paul teaches us in the text about um, authentically set apart to love is we will, we have been authentically set apart first to love God. We've been first authentically set apart to love God. Look, 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 at, look at verse 5. <coughs> it says, not... In the passion of lust, like the Gentiles who do not know God. So it's picking up where we left off. So what he's talking about here is a powerful principle. Is He's talking about the fact that the reason why God saved you uh, was not that you can live out your own personal passions. Uh, um, in, in the context of what we talked about last week, as you remember, so some people would, 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 would reduce this passage to a passage on, on morality or, or, or in, in and of itself in relation to intimacy or sexuality, but but the overarching principle of this text is holiness, then he gives us several areas in which holiness should be in. So now we're in the section in which we see holiness, which I'll explain in a second uh, in, in a little bit of detail in, in, in talking about this. And the first thing he told us, and when God saved us, God had reasons why he saved you. Okay? Okay, okay. He had reasons why he saved you. One of the reasons why he saved us is so that we wouldn't walk in the passion of lust. Now, let's break that down, uh, if we will. The word for passion here, in the, in the Greek, is literally says pathology, uh, which means it's beautiful. It means passion of lust, or what the word passion means where we get our pathology from or pathological. I I don't know if you know what pathological means. Pathological means that a person has a particular characteristic that so pervades their character that they can't help but do it. Let me see if I can make it plain. There's some people that I know, they're pathological liars. Amen, somebody. They can't help but lie. I mean, these type of people, they lie and their life ain't in danger. Ain't nobody in trouble. They just lie, just a lie. they just a liar of liars of liars of liars. They get caught in lies. They try to get themselves out of lies. They tell a lie to come up the lie that they just told that they lied about. They're a pathological liar. So he says that all of us were pathologically lustful. He, he, said, he, said, he, says, he says, listen, the Gentiles... Uh, 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 since they haven't had access to redemptive history, they didn't have access to the oracles of God which would point them to Jesus. Because they didn't have the oracles of God, they were were without law if you will. Antinomianism is what they were. They they were without law and because they were without law and, and they didn't know God's pattern of the way he had set things up. They were after everything that had nothing to do with the living God. They sought after what they wanted, what they needed, what they wanted to have, versus wanting to seek out and be and live what God wants them to be. And he jams them up talking about this, and he talks about, he says, he also says that no one, this is powerful, he says, that no one transgress his brother in this matter because the Lord is an avenger in all these things. This is a scary little section right here. You know what I'm saying? Because he he begins talking about this as as a precursor to rooting it more deeply in holiness like he did in verse 4. And and, and, and here he begins talking about that no one defraud his brother. That means that people were, we got children here today, but people were in the congregation of the church seeking intimacy favors from one another. And because of that, some people were going after spouses and some people were going after single people for those particular favors that we talked about last time and doing it in a way that was, of course, raggedy, of course. And so he says, let no one defraud his brother in this. In other words, don't rob someone from what's rightfully theirs. And, 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 And as he's walking the Thessalonians through it, he's just challenging them and laying these things out for them so they can understand. And then he says, let me just tell you something. What goes around comes around. Now, how does he say it? He says, because the Lord is the avenger in all of these things. That means that, that means that, check this out. If someone's defrauded you, don't seek to avenge yourself. But the Bible says, vengeance is mine, says the Lord, I will repay. That means God is the first avenger, not the first, the movie that just came out, right? God is the ultimate avenger. And the way God avenges is he avenges on steroids. Now, when he does it, he, he does it to change things and to challenge things and nip it in the bud. When we do avenging on our own, guess what it does? It sets more fires. And so, and so, and so Paul is thinking also in the context of Proverbs chapter 5, verse 21, in the same type of context, even though it's more about intimacy in that passage than holiness, it's still a pull on the theological principle there that says for. For a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all his paths. That's that's scary. That's scary. Do you know that God sees everything you do? I know we gospel-centered, but every now and then you need to remember. Because you can't be gospel-centered until you know that God be looking at you, watching you. Intimately, though. He's not looking at you trying to destroy you. He's trying to look at you to correct you. See, that's what what love of God looks like. A God who looks at your ways and ponders on them. The Hebrew word for ponder means to weigh something. In other words, he on one side of the scale, God puts his desires. On the other side of the scale, he puts your ways. What he does is if the scale of his ways are way too heavy and doesn't align up in different areas of your life, what he does is he says, be not deceived, for God is not mocked. Whatever a man soweth, that will he also reapeth. If he sow to the flesh, he'll reap destruction, but if you sow to the spirit, you'll reap life. What am I talking about? God watches you to correct you in a loving relationship with you. Why? Because he wants you to be holy. How do I know that? Look at the next verse. He says, "For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness." I like that. See, I like that because somebody wanted to say, "What am I called to do?" What am I? I'm, I want to know my calling. Everybody got a special calling, God. I say, "Nah, every Christian got a calling. You ain't got to wait for Jesus to show up in a dream or, or a vision for you to walk in a calling. The text just told you what your calling was. The text told you that He didn't call you." In impurity, that means mess or refuse, what it means, he called you. It didn't, it, it's interesting that it's translated not to holiness, but he called you in holiness. See, 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 that's, see if it was to, that's something you're going towards. But in means he immerses you in holiness, which I had some help. And as he immerses you in holiness, you're able to execute that which he's requiring of you that's love. That means you keep his commandments, not because you're trying to attain righteousness, but because you are already righteous. Let me see if I can make it plain. My, one of my professors, um, he, 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 we was wondering why he was taking us through all of this information and immersing us in all of these, inf- in these words. I'm like, like, do we have to actually know all of this? And so he's immersing us, immersing us, immersing us, immersing us, immersing us, immersing us in all of this information. Then all of a sudden, we got a pop quiz. We say, like, oh man. We got, I hate, I'm telling you, I hated pop quizzes with nine passions, okay? Hated them. But when I got the pop quiz, I started working on it. I said, like, dang, this is on easy. Why? Because he, was, he wasn't throwing the pop quiz on us to make us fail. He was throwing the pop quiz on us to show us that he had prepared us to get the answers right. See, that's what God does in holiness. When God submerses you in holiness and he has requirements of you, when you begin to walk in his holiness, walk in a deep relationship with him, you will begin to recognize that God has prepared you for it, not because of anything that you did, but because of the righteousness of Christ. Death on the cross and resurrection has imputed righteousness to you. And because you know that it's imputed to you, listen, listen, nobody gets righteousness right. Nobody. So what does holiness mean? I'm glad you asked. Holiness means to set apart, to have separation. Many see holiness as the foremost attribute of all because holiness pervades the other attributes of God and is consistent with all he does. It has a transcendent emphasis to it. Indicating he, I like this, he is absolutely distinct from all creatures. And is exalted above them in infinite majesty. See what, oh, I feel God right now. See, 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 listen, listen, let me tell y'all something. See, God is so holy, God is so righteous that the angels don't holler omnipresence, they don't holler love, they don't holler grace, they don't holler mercy. With their eyes covered in Isaiah 6. In his presence, they can't see what he is, but by the sheer fact that they're in his presence, they know what he is. And so they develop, they develop a, a, a nice little chorus that they've been popping off for a while. Matter of fact, they, they're the first ones to have loops in the song. And it's the song, the, the listen, and the, and the joint goes like this, holy, holy, holy is the Lord, holy, holy holy is the Lord. Now, I know I know. after a while y'all say that. Why would you do something like that? Because they're overwhelmed. They're perfectly perfect beings without any spot or wrinkle in them, but they're in the presence of one whose glory fills the temple, and his glory is so massive, and they're steady working and serving him, yet they find themselves worshiping. They're supposed to be working, but they're so blown away by them that they got to say, you, you, did you hear that? Holy. They get these Holy. Holy. Holy is the Lord. Dang. Holy. Holy. Blindfolded by their wings. But they can sense the holiness of God, the presence that they're in. And so when he calls us in holiness, <coughs> he doesn't call us to be blown away by ourselves. He calls us to be blown away by him. And when you're blown away by him, what happens is, is when you see that he's holy, you're not, you're a mess. He sends his son to save you, transform you into holiness without your work, but the son's work. But you remember what you were like and seeing where you are now based on the son's work, it makes you love him. I wish I had some help. And so and what, and what it does is say, "Dag, you did this for me. You did it. And, so, and what, what Paul is trying to nurture in the people of God is a love for God. But you got to love all of God. You can't love your best channel of God, if you will. Because you know when it comes to God, some of us got our favorite channels. I wish I had help. But listen, you, in order to love God, you can't take part of him. You can't take a piece of him. You have to take all of him. And to, that means you have to love his holiness. Oh, my God. And so he moves them on and Paul... Begins just blowing them up about this, and he says, <clears throat> he says, therefore, what? He says, therefore, what's the therefore, therefore, here it is. Whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God, who gives you his Holy Spirit. It's powerful. Where in the world did he talk about giving the Holy Spirit come from? Goes back to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 18 through 20. Because when you get saved, you become a temple of God's presence. The Holy Spirit takes residence in you at salvation. Ephesians 1, 14 says, You have received the Holy Spirit not after you believe, but when you believe. Oh, uh, 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 uh-uh-uh-uh-uh-uh-uh. So, because you received him when you believe, then what happens is is wherever the Holy Spirit, which is the representation of the Shekinah glory of God is, that means wherever he shows up and takes abode, that place is holy. Yeah. Yeah. And so now we see the beauty of this. And so he said, he said, now, we got that down? He's like, yes. He said, now I want you to remember that in the next section because we're going to get grimy next. That's what Paul says, Right. <laughs> So next next thing, if you're going to be authentically set aside to love, you got to recognize, I know it's going to be too simple and not too theologically weighty for some of y'all, because I know y'all want me to quote some classics and all of that and do some more Greek and Hebrew and some church history, but all I got is set aside to love one another. That's all I got for you. We're set aside to love one another. Wow. That ain't deep, I know, but look at the text. It says, now concerning brotherly love, not brotherly shove, brotherly love. You have no need for anyone to write you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. Wow. Powerful. Yeah. So, what he begins talking about, the word brotherly love is where we get our word Philadelphia from. Brotherly love. And, it's, and it was used of the kindred of blood relationships. Matter of fact, when I was growing up, you can't do this no more because there's too many things out here. But back in the days when you was real tight with one of your boys. We you were real tight with one of your boys. We sharpened a rock on the ground to start sparking on both sides. And then we go like this. Then we go, "Sakal, cut it. Then he cut himself. Then we rub up blood together. We say, now we blood brothers, right? You can't do that no more. But don't do that. Woo, don't do that. Right? No offense to anybody. Just don't do that. Um, but, but there was a sense in which there's a brotherly bond there. With their, you, you know when somebody's family, you, you just know because you're tied to them forever, you got to put up with them a little bit. That's the sense of the word brotherly love. Brotherly love is, man, I got to deal with this joker here in the household of faith in Jesus' mighty name. Peter describes it as an attribute that comes as you're growing spiritually. How do I know? First Peter chapter 1, verses 4 through 6, it says, In your virtue, as your virtue knowledge, and your knowledge self-control, and your self-control perseverance, and your perseverance godliness, and your godliness brotherly kindness. In other words, when you're growing in Christ and you're growing in Christian character, it makes its way into how you love other people. Now, you can't say, now, John, 1 John said, you be lying. That's, the, that's my translation. If you say you love your brother, I mean, love God and hate your brother. Let me read it. Y'all don't believe me. First John chapter 4, verse 16 through 21, it says, so far, so, uh, he says, so we have come to know and believe <coughs> the, lo- the love that God has for us. This is so beautiful. God is love, just for free. Whenever you see God is anything, it's letting you know an attribute of his. Anyway, it says, and whoever abides or remains in love remains in God, and God remains in them, in a a sense of fellowship with them. It says, by this love, by this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out all fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And whatever fears, whoever fears has not been perfected in love. That means you, if you don't experience the love of God in your life, you're going to still think you're going to hell. But when you're experiencing the love of God, you're going to be like, I'm not going to hell, so I don't have to worry about getting judged. Yeah. So check it out. But if you're worried you, worried, you might want to just go before the John 3.16 like they was quoting earlier. Verse 19. He says, we love because he first loved us. Let me say that again. We love because he first loved us. So the ability to love comes from him. Let me say that again. Now, love doesn't look like a human view of love because a human view of love means put up with people in a way, I wish I had help, that enables them to not grow. That's not love. See, some of y'all believe love. Let me just bring everybody around and let me bring. That's not love. Sometimes you need to tell somebody, I, I, get out my face right now. I love you in Jesus' name, but you're wilding. Amen. That's in love. I'm not condemnation. It's for exaltation of Christ for your not humiliation, but your edification. All right? And so, and so some, but then sometimes it looks like rubbing somebody on the back that's crying and all that type of stuff. But there is a sense in which we have to have a comprehensive understanding of love. The same love that feeds you is the same love that tells you to go outside and get three switches together. See, I don't know nothing about that. See, my mama used to tell me, hey, hey, come in." I said, yes? She said, go outside. Get, a, get me a switch. Get me, don't get me an old switch. Because you got to understand, the old switch, as soon as it hits you, it breaks. You're like, oh, mom, sorry. So, so, so what you had to do, I had to go get the switch. She said, I want a fresh green switch. I want you to smell it when you pull it off so the aroma from it, that's how you know that it's ready. If it gives you a headache, bring it in the house. I want you to get three of them and get me some rubber bands. See, y'all, see, y'all call CPS. You see, my father would've shot piece CPS when they came to the house that's a whole other thing. But they braid the switch and wear me out. But, but but I'm just saying that. But the same love that cooked for me was the same hand that beat my behind. Why? Because all of it was love. So Because if it was up to me, I wanted some toys and, you know, some candy canes and everything all day. But they knew that if they loved me like I wanted to be loved, it wouldn't be biblical love. That's why you gotta begin letting yourself submit to all of the facets of who God is in his love because some of y'all think God hates you but it's really him loving on you because He's not going to let you stay the same doggone way that you are. He loves you enough to meet you where you are, but he loves you enough to take you beyond where you are. That's the love of God. That's the love of God. That's the goodness of God. And that's the type of love we should have for one another, is demand each other to change. Oh, I wish I had some help. Listen. If you got people around you that pacify you as a third-person party to be codependent, that's not love. That's hatred and enablement. I got to move. That's, we got to love one another, right? But, you know, I, I remember when I got out of seminary, I was like 26 years old, four years, four-year master's degree, 124, 2025, 2030 credits. I don't know, 100-something credits. Um, And and I had had two and a half years of Greek, two years of Hebrew, two years of uh, 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 of of systematic theology and biblical theology, a year of uh, church history, all of these different things. And I had three years of Bible exposition. I think it was two years. And so I had all, I went through the whole Bible expositionally and translated multiple, I translated the book of Joel. I'm not trying to brag, I'm, I'm just going somewhere. Translated the book of Jonah, translated different Psalms, translated uh, the, uh, the Gospels twice, translated the book of Romans twice. Did all of these, wrote translation, right? Then I got, I got you know, I got my, you know, I got my, my, my exegetical steeds, right? So I go to Good Hope Missionary Baptist Church in Houston, Texas. And so the senior, I became an assistant pastor there. missions pastor and assistant pastor. So one of the first jobs he give this strapping, young 26-old young man, the first job he gives him is to teach the noonday Bible study on Tuesdays to the senior citizens. So I was like, I'm about to wreck the house. Wait till I drop. They ain't never heard this, man. I'm coming out with some epithetogenicals, ep- some, 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 you know what I'm saying, some objective genitives, man. I'm going to be talking about how Calvin was, you know. Ha <laughs> ha. Got up in that mug. <laughs> the age was between 65 and 93. <clears throat> they met in a 200-year-old house on the bayou in Houston off 288 and McGregor Way. I remember it because we had no A.C., and I had to wear a suit every day. <laughs> if I didn't have to wear a suit, if I didn't have a suit, they weren't going to listen to me. I'm just telling you all right now. And I come in there, and I'm, I'm like this, hi, how you doing? They say, who is this Negro right here? Who is he? That's what they said. They did say that. They was looking at, now? I'm like, I thought they were going to be happy to see me. You know, so I started teaching. I was rocking. They was like, sitting on a brother. I'm like, dang it. Y'all, I mean, y'all hear how? I mean, man, y'all hear how I'm bringing it? Theologically, I'm quoting from the top, all kinds of things, and then all of a sudden, um, one of the ladies invited me and my wife over her house. It's before we had kids, and, and she invited us over because we didn't have anywhere to do some of the holidays. She invited us over. You know, she made us. Um, she made. She fried a turkey. She baked a turkey. She smoked a ham. She made some collard greens with hog malls, chitlins, I don't eat none of that, but she had it. Um, Cabbage, apple pie, cherry pie, coconut cake, and Baptist punch. Y'all don't know nothing about the Baptist punch. It's the fruit punch, the sweet poop punch with the bite on the back end. Y'all don't know nothing about that. And, so, and so, 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 so they made it. Then we got Sister Georgina, and she's gone be with the Lord. She made a bread put in a pan like this with little raisins in it. Then we had Sister Stevenson. She made rolls. Then we had another person. They would bring gumbo, and, and, they, would, and, they, would, and they would just sit down and talk with us and listen to us and rub on our back. And when my wife was going to the hospital, they would, they would set up meals for like two weeks and do all of these different things. And the longer I was with them, the more spiritually immature I learned that I was because they knew something I didn't know. I knew more Greek than them. I knew more Hebrew. I knew more dead scholars than they did. But they knew something I didn't. They knew how to love Christians. They knew how to love Christians. They they knew how, I remember one time my mama was making her, my mama just passed, but she she had some yams. I used to call them yiggity yams because they was crazy. It was her candy yams. Mom's was making them joints one day. I'm going somewhere with all this. And man, I got, I, you know, I get, I get up in there. You can smell them through the house. Like they're legendary. So you running up, Mom, where well, can I get some yams? She said, No, baby, you can't have these. I'm like, how are you going to be cooking the yams? And, you know what I'm saying? And so, so she said, Wait, these are not for you. We'll eat some later. I got house yams, but these are some yams. So she had this pot that locked. And she took the little warmer thing under it, put it under there, put me in the back seat of the, of, of, of the Maverick. We had a 72 Maverick. Y'all don't know nothing about that. Green Maverick, vinyl seats, summertime, burning my, the skin off my legs. So, so I'm sitting there in the seat. She puts the pot between my legs, and we, we, we go somewhere, and then she goes into this house. Then it's a spread out. My mama's job was to, she was part of the October circle. Y'all know nothing about that. And so she put the, she put it on the table. They had the food all out. And so everybody went around this person and they prayed for the person. You know, they went in before God. Hey, God, we bless you, God, for this person. We thank you, God. You're going to raise him up off his sick bed? In Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen, amen. Then we go to the hospital. We went to the hospital. My mother's sitting, rubbing this person with varicose veins and just rubbing their hands and reading the Psalms to them. And just praying for them. And I realized that I was learning pastoral ministry from my mother. And, 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 and now I do. And, and what's interesting, she just prayed for the person, encouraged them, and said, it's going to be all right. You're going home to be with the Lord. Wow. And then I started seeing in this church them do stuff like this. They didn't have life groups to organize how to love people they just love people. They, they, when, when someone had a baby shower, they brought gifts from experiencing what people needed. They brought diapers, they brought clothes, they brought offered changing tables that they had in the attic, they brought cribs. When someone got married, they gave them China sets, furniture, they gave them small kitchen appliances like toasters, toaster ovens rather. Microwaves, blenders, silverware, good silverware too, with the little sterling silver thing on the back of it. When someone moved in, they offered help. When someone was newly married, the old mothers would come up to you, and they'd go like this. The old daddies, they say, bless your baby, and close your hand up like this so until you slide that in your pocket. <laughs> Y'all don't know nothing about that. <laughs> Whenever someone went to the hospital, people cooked for the family visited they even sat with the lonely people who were lonely the sick and shut in they went to go see the deacon would go over sometimes with communion sit with the person sometimes they would sit into the person died and went to glory and the people would hold hands and pray some people who had no family they became family too they invited those without family to share holidays so they wouldn't be alone they fussed at you when you were out of line they prayed with you until God showed up. They brought food over and listen. And, and when they brought, they brought food over, when you invited them over, let me say that again. <laughs> this for the roaches. I ain't gonna look at nobody. <laughs> Somebody got that. Um, <laughs> they brought food over when invited. In other words, they were like, "Ah, I'm hungry in the mother. Why y'all always taking so long to bring the food? You know what I'm saying? When they came over to somebody's house, N- not n- everybody, people on Social Security didn't have much. Right. And so they knew that you were overdoing it, and therefore they planned to make sure that they brought something because they wanted to contribute. It was something in their spirit based on a theology, a weighty and rich, not, not, not some, not I understand the Greek word agape, and no, 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 or oh, achav, which is the Hebrew word for love. They didn't understand, none, they didn't know none of them words. All they knew. Is what how to love somebody. They even kept, they even even with little kept an open hand before God and men when it came to sharing. They didn't just expect to receive from others all the time. But they gave. At times opened their homes to the needy. What am I saying by all of this? We need to learn how to love. Many times, we as a congregation in some facets have become entitled because we think everybody's supposed to love us, but we don't open up ourselves. So I know this ain't deep, but listen, let me tell you something. Only the truth you know will set you free. What I mean by that? When the Bible says no, it doesn't mean intellectual attainment. It married the belief in the principle with the practice of the principle, or you didn't believe the principle. Let me say that again. It married to the belief of the principle with the practice of the principle, which means you actually believed it. Whatever you don't practice that you say you believe, you don't believe it. That's the way the Bible works. That's the way it works. We need to develop, based on Paul exhorting them, He exhorted them. He said, Your love went out through Macedonia, many, many churches. Many of us are selfish. Many of us need to learn how to open up. Listen, I'm not talking about be rich because it counts when people know that even in what you don't have, you give. You got to learn, Christians have to learn how to love other Christians and stop coming to church just to get a word. Some of y'all get a word, and that's all you want. Some of y'all get community, that's all you want. But you have to be willing. I'm not trying to exalt the old church like it was perfect. But I am trying to tell you that sometimes we act like they, were, they didn't know nothing. I'm just trying to let you know that we need to love people. We need to love one another. We need to seek and see how one another is doing spiritually and check on one another. I'll move on to the last point because y'all are getting quiet. Last point, we're also set apart to love missionally. This is the, this part. Of, this part of a little rugged. He says, he says, and aspire in verse eleven to live quietly. Somebody say quietly. quietly. To mind your own affairs. Yeah. Well, my my my. And to work with your hands. I'm about to speak in the Holy Ghost right now. Yeah. Y'all laughing. I'm talking for real. As we instructed you so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. That's good theology. Now, now, now this, what is he saying? When he says he says, aspire, that means have an ambition. Have an ambition. A, a, this is healthy ambition. To aspire to live quiet. This is good. Quiet means to refrain from being a mess to others. Let me say that again. Means you're not messy. That means you refrain from disturbing activity. Has the idea of, 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 of people who are innocent in their public life. Now, you got to understand, the Thessalonians were going through persecution. They weren't going through Nero persecution yet, not to Second Thessalonians, because Paul will write them about that, where they were burnt at the stake at night. We're not talking about that. We're talking about verbal abuse from lost people. Now, what he says is, is he says, I'm not going to pray for you to get out of the trial, but I'm going to teach you some principles that help the fire to go down a little bit as you walk with the Lord before unbelievers. One of the things that I want you to do is aspire to keep your mouth shut sometimes. Now, now it's not just verbal mouth shutness, right? It's also, it's also a disposition where you're not a noisy with your character. So he says, said, he said, I want you to have a quality, but then I like the next one. He says, learn to mind your business. Let me say it again. Learn to mind your business. Some of us make it our vocation to know what's going on in everybody's life in areas that we shouldn't be. Some of us, we don't get to know people. Help me, Holy Ghost. We don't get to know people because we want to know people. We want to know people so that we can gossip about what's going on in their life. So Paul tells Christians, with Christians but with unbelievers as well, he says, I want you to mind your own business. That means take care of your own affairs because when you recognize that you got responsibility, guess what you'll do? You won't be in everybody else's business because you'll see how messy you are and what God needs to do in your life. And so therefore, you won't be in everybody else's business all the time telling everybody else to pray about somebody else because you really want to gossip about them, not pray about helping them for real. I got to move on. It's too practical. I like this one. And work, hey, listen to me say, work with your hands. Ha, <laughs> lo, lord, lord, lord. Lo. Listen, working with your hands in their culture was the lowest bottom of the barrel way of working. Everybody would have looked down on it in Hellenistic culture. But a lot of Thessalonians, as you'll see later and in the next 2nd Thessalonians, a lot of them have jobs. So they said, I'm too good to take that type of job. So Paul said, I don't care what you got to do. You need to work with your hands. Yeah. Now, he said, take the bottom of my barrel job, but he, he said, I want you to work hard with it. Now, when you get on the job, Paul doesn't tell them, as you work with your hands, share the gospel. Why? And I'm just going to mess some of y'all up. Your primary job on your job is not to share the gospel. Let me go around this room. right? I just wish I could go through every row right now. Listen, your primary job is not to share the gospel. That's, yeah, that's heresy. That's the devil. No, because see, know why? Because let me, let me, let me, okay. Your primary job is to do your job well. And do it in an exemplary way. And earn the right with the exemplary nature of your work to be able to have common ground to share the gospel. But you're not on your job as an evangelist. You're on your job as a hard worker who looks for open opportunities to be an evangelist. Some of us need to. Ho- put on hold talking about Jesus because we're trifling on our jobs. Some of us, people p- people's issue with Christianity ain't the Trinity. It ain't the inerrancy of scripture and the infallibility of scripture. Some, it ain't the hypostatic union, it's you. See, you don't need to read a Christian apologetics by Norman Geisler. You need to have some lifestyle apologetics that say, do your work done. Get to work on time. Stop checking your Facebook and Twitter when you used to be working. Stop working on your side business while you're working. Somebody ought to help me right now. And what you need to do is you need to bury your faith. Some of y'all need to skip some lunch times and eat in one hand and do some work in the right hand because you're such in a deficit that in order to be able to share Jesus again, you're going to have to have superlative work ethic. It's just practical principles. Listen, I'm just trying to tell you. I'm just trying to tell you. I'm going to get somebody, Somebody going to get some help today. I'm just trying to let you know is, listen, I'm going to just tell y'all now. I don't, listen, I don't like the service I get a lot of times. People I go to under the age of 35, and I'm saying this, I'm, well, I'm kind of above that age group, but, I, you know, I'll, anyway. So, some of the people think it's a privilege for you to come in their business and serve and patronize. I'm like, I ain't coming in here no more. Why? And what needs to happen is Christians, you need to be the best workers. You need to be the, the, you may not know everything, but you should be the hardest worker. He said, work with your hands. That's grimy. That means be willing to do anything that's in the will of God. And that's important for your spiritual life. It's important for the opportunity. He says, walk properly before outsiders. That means when you're around people, he didn't say talk properly among outsiders. I'm just trying to be practical. He didn't say run your mouth. He didn't say try to start Bible studies every day, all the time. He said walk properly. Now, I'm just going to give you practice. Y'all think I'm crazy, but i got to say this. Go to work on time. Do your work well. Stop taking long lunch breaks. You got to break it down like this. Um, don't leave too early. Sometimes stay a little late. Sometimes come a little earlier. But don't act like being at your job is a burden because a lot of people don't have one. I wish I had some help. But take advantage of the opportunity because all you got to do is remember what it was like to be unemployed. I'm just trying to be practical. Um, I mean, just remember that. Then you'll then you'll dance in the bathroom stall like this. You'll be like, hey! And then get back out there and get to work because you remember, remember what you was eating—sardines and pork and beans. Remember that you was looking at the alpo, right? You know what I'm saying? So don't forget. Now you are able to eat out once a week. I know it's a curry out, but you listen. I'm just trying to help somebody because some folk you got to break it all the way down. Do well at your job and let God exalt you. I'm going to sit down. Last but not least, depend on no one. Let me tell you something. Oh, God. Um, there's nothing wrong with believers helping you, but some of y'all have made a career out of being helped. Somebody need to help you with your rent. Somebody need to help you with your cell phone bill. Your cell phone bill always turned off. I'm just being practical. Some of y'all cell phone bill always turned off. Some of y'all need this. Some of y'all need that. Listen, I'm just saying, listen, we got to get to a point where we are giving out, not taking all the time. He said, depend on, he said, you need, listen, I like the way he says it in Romans chapter 13. He says, oh, no man, anything. Listen, Listen, I'm just saying, listen, we need to learn, all of us, yeah. underage and overaged. Amen. We need to learn how to depend on no one. Yeah. What does that mean? That doesn't mean not walking by faith. That's not what I'm talking about. That does not mean you're in a tight spot and you're in a tight skis and you need some help. I'm talking about all people, People when they know you, 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 you everybody know you. When you come over to my house, you're in the fridge. You're eating up the food, and you're taking three plates. So, and, I'm just being straight up, because y'all, I'm just, Pastor's trying to preach, tell you help, I'm just trying to help you. Don't be the person that's a leech. Don't be that person. But fight by God's grace, because the gospel demands you work hard. If Jesus Christ can walk to Golgotha with his skin off of him, bleed and get dirt, the beginning of infection, if he would have lived longer. He would have got infected. But he walked to the cross and got on the cross, was nailed to it. If he can do that work for us and still talk and ask God to forgive us of our sins... to to, to fulfill prophecy, and then when he was finished doing what he was supposed to do, when he clocked out, when he said, into the hand I commend my spirit, that was Jesus clocking out. But know what Jesus did? He finished everything.